and obviously uh, the U.S. Uh, you being very well versed with that. And, and what I've always found uh, curious, and people have also um, uh, countered in some cases, is that um, the U.S. is the primary example of democracy and democratic principles and processes, but you say not necessarily so, that there has been or there are examples of state capture in the U.S., not only in the state, but uh, in, in, in the electoral system as well. Just to, uh, you know, talk, talk us through some of those points. Well, the the United States is the oldest constitutional democracy in the world. It's 230 years old, and yet in 2016, they elected a president who lost the popular vote by three million votes, more than any other president, and yet he was inaugurated because he won in something called the Electoral College, and that confuses a lot of people, but it seemed to me that at least it would be a start to talk about state capture because if you lose the popular vote but you win in something arcane like the Electoral College, which is only 538 votes, what's going on here? And it was that that led me to think about whether Trump was an example of state capture, which we talk about here, but then I realized that Trump manifest long-term undercurrents of state capture rooted to the original sin when the country was founded, which is the ratification of the slave trade and the discrimination against African Americans all the way through. And if you look at the voting data from 2016, white ethnic nationalism raised its head even though Obama had been president for two terms. But the reaction of some key constituencies gave the states that had that many more electoral votes the means to elect Donald Trump. And so here's where we are, and where do we go from here? Is it not part of those uh, collusive networks that were uh, spoken about that, you know, irrespective of whether or not you have a new administration or not, those networks remain and they network within each other to ensure that state capture uh, is alive and well, or at least vulnerable? Well, what I learned by going back to the start of the Republican coming forward is that there has been a very powerful ethnic nationalism, tribalism, if you will, in the American South, linked to the history of slavery and the segregation and the abuse and terrorism against blacks that still has a residual impact. That coalition of ethnic nationalists, white ethnic nationalisms, is dissolving because America is becoming, because of its immigration policies uh, that are under under attack by by Trump now, uh, a non-majority white country, a majority non-white country, and by 2050 that's what it'll be. That set off a reaction by the residual white nationalists who were linked in the old days to the Southerners who had a one-party state throughout the South that was mainly to try to keep the federal government off their back so they could repress their large African-American population, the descendants of slaves, and that drove a lot of the policies. That was a state capture that was related merely to keeping the federal government from interfering too much in advancing equal equal rights for all. The United States is supposed to have equal rights for law. That's the Declaration of Independence. But it was not the reality, and it has not been the reality. If the United States had not become uh, captured by um, the Southerners who wanted to have slaves and who turned slave cotton industries in the 1840s and 50s into the fourth biggest economy in the world, slaves in those days were worth $10 trillion in contemporary dollars. That's what drove the order in that part of the 
country that leveraged, leveraged control over the central government. It's a complicated story, but it's a consistent story. Mm. But it's now coming apart. Obama, I thought, meant that we had reached a, a new era in American politics. Trump is a throwback to the old era. The test now is where do we go? All right, Prof, hold the thought, because I also want to talk about the Russia dynamic in just a moment. But let me introduce to you to uh, Ms. Randrara Raktomalala. I'm sorry, Randrara, I've always had difficulty uh, pronouncing your surname. She's an assistant program officer of ACES South Africa. She spoke earlier on about the exploitation of natural resources, the case of the Rosewood scandal in Madagascar. Perhaps you could just um, uh, educate our listeners a little bit on, on what exactly you meant by that. And, and and uh, what similarities are there, if any, with South Africa? Okay. So uh, my presentation so was about what we call the Rosewood scandal in Madagascar. Uh, it was about how um, the Malagasy state was captured by uh, operators from uh, the field of Rosewood. Uh, there are similarities with South Africa in the sense that... Um, uh, there is an influence, there is a control um, by um, by the Rosewood ex- um, operators on some parts of the on on the elaboration of laws of um, of the regulations of a specific uh, field uh, uh, of a specific field. Yes, of ec- an economic field. So um, we are speaking of the Rosewood um, economy here. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I mean, I've always wondered. We, I remember that was uh, often the thing back then when there was an overthrow of power, and mm. there was a question of how does a DJ just amass so much power that he ascends to the presidency, the top. Uh, uh, office in the land it's because the DJ uh, had support from outside um, he was supported by friends uh, so that's by, th- by friends and the military so and the army so that's how he was able to uh, take over the power in 2009 through this putsch through this famous um, coup so let's go back then uh, Professor Stramlot to the issue of elections and um, I, I want to ask about the the Russia effect or paradigm, especially against the backdrop of uh, lobbyists, which are so well known in the U.S. electoral system. Because you said elections alone uh, are not a, a good or strong enough defense against state capture. Well, elections have been the facilitator of state capture for 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 300 years or 230 years in 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 a paradoxical way they you you leverage power in the united states by putting together voting blocks barack obama put together voting blocks historic voting blocks of non white and predominantly african americans turned out in huge numbers and and there were enough liberal whites and affluent whites to give him two victories narrow but important victories majority victories Trump tried to take advantage of the old residual sympathies that bound the coalition together that maintained segregation in the South after the Civil War for 100 years. It was one-party states down there. And elections served the purpose of the, the those who were trying to maintain a captured state. The elections are the key to breaking that. But in order to break it, you have to understand and then mobilize new coalitions, which I think seemed to be on the horizon and indeed Clinton did win with a combination of Asian Americans and and Hispanic Americans and African Americans who did not vote for her as heavily as they did vote for 
for, for, for Obama, and she didn't lose by very many votes in the Electoral College, voting votes in those states, but the key states had enough weighted votes in the Electoral College to win on behalf of those parts of the country which historically tended to favor the status quo, which was the repression of African Americans in the American South, and for that matter, in the rest of the country. That struggle was really the story of American history in making democracy work. If you want to give credit to those who hold America accountable for the declaration that all people are created equal, which was the Declaration of Independence, not the Constitution, then it's the African Americans who have fought so hard for so long to just have dignity and equal rights. It's a, it's a story familiar to South Africans, but the ratios between whites and blacks is very different in, in the United States than it is in South Africa. And the racial dynamic, is it all a fallacy? No, 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 no. The Russian, Putin, just wanted to prove that America really was an incompetent superpower. Um, the kind of coherence that existed uh, historically during the Cold War um, it no longer exists. And, and, and he didn't think, I don't believe, I don't know, but I don't believe, he thought Trump would really win. Trump, on the other hand, was eager to find any edge that he could on Clinton and to denigrate her. Don't forget that Trump has also deep financial ties to Russian oligarchs. That's how he financed himself out of his $4 billion debt after the Atlantic City uh, failures of his casinos. And so the oligarchs and, and, and Trump had this sort of uh, relationship. He admires authoritarian figures like, like, like Vladimir Putin. And so I think they welcomed the, the revelation about the emails. Now, we don't know whether he was colluding with, with, uh, with the Russians. That's under investigation by the, the special uh, investigator, the independent special, uh, special counsel. So we'll see. But there's no question the intelligence community all agrees that the Russians were mucking around in that election. And for any democratic nation like South Africa, you don't want to have foreign screwing up your election. Thank you so much, uh, Professor John Stremler from Wits University and a board member of ASAN. Thank you very much to Ms. Randrara.